0: As we saw yesterday, God has designed marriage to point to Jesus by being an example of Christ in His church. In these sessions, I hope to be used of God to change your attitude about some of the scriptural commands for marriage that were given by God to have us imitate Jesus. Now, unfortunately, as we all know, instead of embracing God's plan and design, we've rebelled against it and tried to live out our marriages without obedience to God's design it's been a struggle now let me just tell you God knew that he told Adam and Eve back in the garden right after the fall you guys are going to have the battle of the sexes from now on as you go back and you look at what he said he said there's going to be a curse on the land there's going to be a curse on Satan there's going to be also pain in childbirth and he says to Eve he says your desire is going to be for your husband Now, that word desire is not like, oh, I'm in love with you. That word desire actually means you want to control. Because it's the same Hebrew word that you see in the very next chapter, in chapter 4, where God's talking to to, uh, Cain about his brother. And he says, be careful, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have mastery over you. And he pretty much said to Adam and Eve, because you flip flop the roles that I designed for you, where the husband was to lead and the wife was to follow. But Eve took the lead and the husband followed. You guys are going to have the battle of the sexes from now on. Your desires are going to be to want to control. And he's going to think he has to be a caveman to rule over you and to control. And that neither one are God's design. And we hopefully know, most of us all here being pretty strong Christians, we know what God's word says. But let's be honest, our flesh doesn't like it. So before I even get into what God's design is for how we're... By the way, you're going to see today both husbands and wives are to submit. Before we get into that, I want to take some time, though, to show you first... ...that Jesus would never ask us to do something that he's not willing to do himself. And I can't wait to show you that actually when we talk about the specifics of wives submitting to their husbands... ...and husbands submitting to Christ you're going to see that Jesus actually lived out in his life perfectly, both aspects. And it's going to be kind of cool to show you. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start there. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 3. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ... The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. I don't want you to miss the fact that we, we all say, well, the head of the, the wife is the husband. Yeah, but the husband has a head too. And who's that? And Jesus has a head as well. It's God the Father. When we talk about submission, we will never forget that Jesus submitted himself to the Father's plan And the plan the Father had for Jesus required death, and not just any kind of death, death on a cross. Go to Philippians chapter 2. We touched on this yesterday, and we compared Jesus and Satan. We talked about the fact that Satan had been given a tremendous role, created in glory by God. He was in perfection and beauty. He was one of the lead worshipers in heaven. He was one of the guardian cherubs. But he was not satisfied with his lot in life. He didn't like the role the Father had for him, and he wanted more. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to become, of course, like God. But Jesus comes on the scene, who is God, and he humbles himself to the role that the Father had designed for him. So as we talk to you husbands about humbling yourself and submitting to the role the Father has for you, and we talked to you wives today about submitting to the role that the Father has for you. Keep in mind that Jesus did that himself. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-9. through nine. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. We know that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Don't miss the fact that Jesus was equal with God because he is God. Yet he willingly took the role of a servant and submitted himself to the father's role for him. So as we talk to you, husbands and wives, today about submitting to the role the father has for you, God has designed roles for wives, roles for husbands. Don't start off by thinking, well, I'm not sure I like this. Jesus did it. Are you better than him? (laughs) You know, be careful of that kind of an attitude that says, well, I know Jesus did, but I'm not gonna. Ooh. That's a dangerous place to be. Now, as we look at how God designed each of us to submit to God's plan for us in our marriages, we, as we struggle in our flesh with the idea, I also want to encourage you with something. Jesus struggled in his flesh with the idea of submitting to the Father as well. See, because we a lot of times think that Jesus just willingly... Yeah, he did, but didn't he have an issue in his flesh with, with the whole idea of submitting? If you don't remember that, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26... Matthew chapter 26, we look at verses 36 through 39. Matthew 26, verse 36, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. "'Remain here and watch with me.' "'And going a little further, he fell on his face, and he prayed.'" This is what he prayed. "'My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. "'Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will.'" And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, "'So could you not watch with me one hour? "'Watch and pray, that you may not enter into temptation. "'The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak.'" And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Let me ask you a question. What were the words that he was saying in the garden that he prayed three times? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Now, as you're going to see scripturally, the Bible is very clear that Jesus willingly submitted to the Father. Did Jesus have a choice or that he would obey? Yes. yes, he did. Did his flesh want to do it? But he laid his flesh aside and he submitted to the will of the Father. And folks, as we get into what the submission looks like today for us, we have to get over that hurdle first. Don't convince yourself that, oh, I just have to love the idea. No, there's nothing wrong with saying don't like it. Nevertheless, not my will, but the Father's. My desire is that he be glorified, that that our marriage would be a marriage worthy of display. And when my flesh doesn't want to do this, I need to allow the same Jesus who understands to take control and give me the grace to do what he did. Let me show you what I mean by that. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. Look at verses 7 through 9. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verses 7 through 9. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus actually had to learn obedience because he's God. He didn't have to obey anybody. I mean, he's God. Yet by taking the role that the father designed for him, he had to learn obedience through what he what? Suffered. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. With what I'm going to show you, the scripture says you're to be doing. It's not going to be easy. But by God's grace, He'll be able to walk you through it. And actually you'll find that once you learn how to live this out in the power of the spirit, it's not as hard as you thought because um, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is what? Spirit is strong, but we, we just read it. The spirit is willing. It's the spirit is willing. Actually, the same God that went through this in his flesh and submitted to the Father, is living within each of us who have been born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Your flesh might be weak, but if you just say, I can't do this, but God, you want me to, and by faith I'm going to act on what you say, you will experience something that happens supernaturally while all of a sudden your got to turns into a get to. And you won't be able to describe why or how that is, but you'll actually find yourself going, This is actually okay. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Back up a couple of books to Hebrews chapter, I mean, a couple of chapters to Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 18. Since therefore the children, us, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. "'and deliver all those who through fear of death "'were subject to lifelong slavery. "'For surely it's not angels that he helps. "'That's why the angels are longing to look into this "'that we talked about yesterday. "'But he helps the offspring of Abraham. "'Therefore he had to be made like his brothers "'in every respect, so that he might become "'a merciful and faithful high priest "'in the service of God to make propitiation "'for the sins of the people. "'For because he himself has suffered when tempted,' He's able to help those who are being tempted. Hey, you wrestle against this whole idea of submitting to anyone? Of course you do. It's not what your natural flesh wants. Jesus knows. He's been there, He's had the victory. And he, well, Vance Havner put it really, really well years ago. He said, There's only been one Christian life that's ever been lived, and Jesus lived it. But he wants to live it again through you and me. That's why in John 15, 5, Jesus says to his disciples when he's teaching them about the abiding relationship, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, folks, as we deal with these things, as we wrestle this morning with our flesh versus the spirit, keep in mind, God never expects you to do anything. First off, that he hasn't done himself and he doesn't expect you to do it in your own strength. He knows you can't do it unless he gives you the grace and actually, here's where it gets pretty cool. He's designed these little wrestling matches in our flesh, allowed them to cause us to grow closer to Him and rely on Him. Actually, He's going to use it to develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to renew our minds on a daily basis, saying no to the flesh and yes to what God's Word and God's will says. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, look at verses 5 through 7. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Do you see it? What was Jesus' attitude? He said, I've come to do the will you've designed for me. How many of you here, show of hands, had a say in whether or not you'd be born male or female? I know that it goes against everything that we're hearing in the world today, but exactly. None of us had a say on that. That was predetermined by God, was it not? And so he's chosen, well, the Bible actually says in the book of Acts Chapter 17, that he determined when you'd be born and where you'd be born. He did it so that you would reach out for him and find him. And he also has a specific plan for each of our lives. Bible lays that out. It's been designed before the foundation of the world. And if some of you here have been created to be wives, he has a plan that he wants in a role. And your attitude needs to be the same as Christ that says, Lord, this is the role you've chosen for me. And I am willingly going to accept it. Husbands, you've been given a role as well, and you're going to see it's not what you think. And you need to submit yourself too to the role that the Father has for you. So, the Bible actually says that both wives and husbands are commanded by God to submit to their heads. Who's the wife's head? The husband. Who's the husband's head? Christ. Both wives and husbands are to submit to their heads just as Jesus submitted to his. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and let's start taking a look at what this scripture says and some others that all deal with it. In Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, I stopped there for a reason. Has anybody ever taken the time to take a look at the context of Ephesians 5, 22 and following? Does anybody know what just had been said prior to this? By the way, this is one of those questions that will determine whether or not you go home on time. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. Submit to one another, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but Aaron, that's good, but you only got part of the answer right. That's good. That's just one of the that's just that's the verse right before. But there's more than that. Keep reading before that. Go with me. Exactly. Being what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look closely at verse 15 of chapter five. We always jumped in these sessions to chapter 20 of chapter five, verse 22. Look at the context. Look carefully. Verse 15. Then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. We talked about that yesterday. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk or controlled with wine, for that's debauchery, but be, be, be being filled, it actually means, with the Spirit. Be under the control of the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here, here, Paul as he's laying this out and he starts getting into the specifics of husbands and wives he said look you got to understand what the will of the Lord is the will of the Lord is that we on a daily basis especially in these days in which the world needs to see it in which things are evil and 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 man living for his own desire continues to grow and, and 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 attitude today now is is whatever I think and whatever I want We'll just change the laws because that I get to have it the way I want it to be. And I can be whether a male or a female if I want and I can do all this. Folks, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, actually, especially those of us who know the Lord, we are to make the best use of the time by what? Being filled continually with the spirit. How do we do that? We've already gotten everything you need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you through your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't need a second baptism. We're not talking about how you need another experience. Ephesians chapter 4 says there's one Lord, one faith, one what? One baptism. Colossians chapter 2, around verse 9 says that in Christ the deity lived in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ. Folks, everything you need to live out what we're talking about today, you've already experienced through your life in Jesus Christ. You don't need a second experience of grace or anything like that. You've already got him. But you need to learn on a daily basis how to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Isn't that what Jesus did in the garden? Wasn't that what he was doing? He was acknowledging what his flesh was and then laying it aside. See, I've heard too many people say, well, I just want whatever God wants. No, you don't. And actually, that's not how Jesus prayed. He didn't say, Father, your will be done. His prayer was, here's what I want. Now I'm willingly laying it down because your word says that I'm to lay it down and to submit to what you have for me. And folks, you can't acknowledge and receive what God has for you until you acknowledge what it is you want and then lay it down. And so you have to probably in this process be willing to say, yes, I would like to have my marriage go this way. But that's not what God's designed. And I willingly lay that down and say yes to the spirit. And when we say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, I think Galatians 5:16 says it this way. So I say, walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to learn how to submit to the father. So wives with this understanding. because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Jump over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 13. We're going to go from chapter two, verse 13, all the way through chapter three, verse seven. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse 13. "Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. By the way, that word servant actually means slave of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? Listen, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For years, I've heard a lot of wives say, well, I'll submit to my husband as soon as he's someone that I'd want to submit to. That's not what the scripture teaches. You're going to see as we get into wives and husbands in just a second. The full context of what Peter's laying out is, is that actually God has designed us as Christians to submit ourselves to all authority that God has designed. God's designed authority that ultimately all points to who God is. But we're to submit ourselves to the government or to submit ourselves by paying the taxes. We might not think it's fair. We might hate the fact. I actually have friends that have quite a bit of money, and they pay almost 50% of what their income is in taxes. And to be honest with you, as you look at the tax codes and all that stuff, and the charts, you look at it and think, okay, that's not right. They've been taxed on this money, and then once the person dies, they tax it again? And the inheritance tax... But what does the Bible say you're to do? Submit. Pay your taxes. Submit yourself to all authority. But, well, what if they're not good? This is a gracious thing, listen. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God if you're willing to submit to the role the Father has for you, even if it's not easy. We're going to talk a little bit about wives submitting to a husband. Who probably wouldn't be a guy that we would all choose as the best guy to submit to. Some of you might not have a husband that you would be glad to submit to because I'm just gonna say it nicely, some of you might be married to a jerk. But you're not submitting to him, you're submitting to who? Right. To Christ. Husbands, you might actually be trying to lead in the way that God's designed, and I'm gonna lay that out in just a second, but you might have a wife that doesn't follow. Does that mean you just quit? Let her do what she wants? Or are you to continue to be the humble servant that Christ has been and is? To demonstrate that grace, to demonstrate that love. As I think Jesus put it this way. He said, all day long, I've held out my arms to an obstinate people. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I, I would have longed to have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing. But did he quit? No, he continues to offer. He continues to love. He continues to provide that grace. Let's keep reading. In verse 21, to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he reviled he didn't revile in return when he suffered he didn't threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls now before we get into the likewise part let me ask you a quick question was Jesus unfairly treated? I mean, good grief. He was the creator of the world and they called him demon possessed. They called him a Samaritan or a half breed. Uh, he was unjustly put to this illegal trial. He was accused of things that weren't true. And not only that, he was put to death. And Jesus, the whole time, submitted himself to his Father, who's going to judge justly. I remember when he stood before Pilate in John chapter 19 and Pilate looks at him and he says, don't you realize I have the authority to have you put to death or have you released? And Jesus calmly just said, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you by my father. Did you hear that? You would have no authority over me unless it was given to you by my father. Now we get to chapter three. Likewise, do you see the context? The context is full submission to all the authority that God has designed. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, don't let your adorning be external, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Don't be afraid of this. this. I know it seems scary, but don't be afraid of this. God's got a cool plan. And if you live it out, it's going to be awesome. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, here we see, well, first off, this passage, unfortunately, over the years in the church has been taught that women aren't supposed to braid their hair or wear jewelry. If that was the, what it was really saying, then they weren't allowed to wear clothes either. Because that's what it says. Don't let your adorning be external to braiding your hair, the putting on, of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. That's not what he was saying. For years, there used to be this question. Preacher uh, was asked one time, he said, Preacher, how much makeup should a lady wear? And his answer was, it depends on her face. <laughs> If the barn needs paint and paint it, you know, here's the deal. The passage is not. <laughs> we all we all know who to pray for during our breakout session. Here's the deal. What the script? <laughs> You are now Chuck number two. That's right. Here, here's what the scripture's saying. Women, your beauty, there's nothing wrong with braiding your hair and jewelry and all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't think your beauty's gonna come from external. The beauty's gonna come from internal. Now I, I'm not doing this to embarrass my wife, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. Not only did I notice when I first saw her that she was beautiful on the outside. What jumped off at me the first time I saw Becky over 30 years ago was her godliness. Actually, I was youth pastor at Lockmar Baptist Church. And back then, in the late 80s, they used to have what they used to call... late-night extras, where the youth groups on a, one Sunday night a month would all gather at one of the other churches to all celebrate and together and do something. Well, this year, uh, or that month, the late-night extra was at First Baptist in the Atlantic. I was youth pastor at Lockmar, and we took the youth group to First Baptist in the Atlantic, and the youth group at First Baptist in the Atlantic put on a musical called The Army of the Lord. And actually, Becky had just graduated graduated high school, and it was She was starting off, about to head off into college, but she was a part of that. And as we sat there in the sanctuary watching this musical, I turned to a buddy of mine who was the youth pastor at at Central Baptist, and I said to him, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Now, don't get all excited, because I said that about every beautiful girl. (laughs) I'm serious. I I was famous for saying that probably 20 times a day. You know, If I saw a pretty girl, that's the girl I'm going to marry. But not only did I notice, though, that she was attractive... I noticed in watching this musical that there was a godliness, a sweetness about her. Well, of course, we went home. I never saw her. The next summer, First Baptist in the Atlantic hires me to be the youth pastor there for the summer. And when I got there and got my office and they gave me a church directory, my brain goes, there was a girl that I saw here. <laughs> And I went through the church directory looking for her, and I found her. I just didn't know if her name was Becky, Susan, or Julie, because she was one of three girls there. But I, 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 and I could tell you to this day what's the first thing, uh, what she was wearing, where she was sitting. But it wasn't just her beauty. That was outward. There was a, a godliness and a sweetness about her. And to be honest, it's even been more and more developed over the years. Wives, that's what God's looking for. That your beauty comes from your gentle and quiet spirit. Hang on for a second. I want your help now. Why does this gentle, quiet spirit bring glory to God? Any idea? It's not our flesh to be gentle and quiet. You got it. Because, remember, remember the curse of Do you remember the curse of sin? Yeah, Chris, was, Chris said... Uh, you, you remember the curse of sin? You're going to want to control. You're going to want to have things go your way. You're going to want to nag. You're going to want to boss. You're going to want to, well, I get, you get the idea. <laughs> and when a woman acts in a way that is contrary to what the world sees today, the only one that can get credit for it Is Jesus. And the reason why Becky looked like that, enacted that way, and still does even more, is because Jesus had already been formed in her. Folks, this is not a session where we're going to talk about how you can do these three steps to a better marriage, or seven steps to a better... No, you need to learn how to get closer to Jesus. And as you, as a wife, get closer to Jesus by spending time in the word and in prayer, submitting to what his word says, doing what he's told you and husbands. We're going to get to you in a little bit here. When you submit to the role that the father has for you, but you by doing so spending time with the father, God will produce in us everything that he asks of us. It's God who works in us. Philippians 2, 13, both to desire and to act according to his good purpose. Let, let me show you something real quick and then we'll come back here. Go to... Uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter two. Look at verse 16. Paul says in verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 16, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now, because Paul is the master of the run on sentence, some of us probably missed what he said here. So I'm going to take out that section where he gets so he can't help but overflow in praise to God. And he describes Jesus as who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. I'm going to take that section out, that description of Jesus, so that you can hear the sentence again. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God our Father, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Does that comforting your heart remind you of anything back here in 1 Peter chapter 2? Sorry, chapter 3? 1 Peter chapter 3? Go back and look again at 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him lord and you are her children if you do good and what don't fear anything that's frightening not only will god give you the grace to live out this submission to your husband he'll also calm your heart he'll comfort your heart if you're doing submission and you're chomping at the bit the whole time the spirit of god's not doing it that's you I've tried. It just doesn't work. Oh, we didn't ask you to try it and see if it worked. We didn't ask you to do it. We're telling you to go to Jesus and he will comfort your heart. And then he will establish you in every good work and word. Yes, sir. Could you help with the idea of submitting to an authority that's trying to draw you into sinful behavior and activity? Great question. His question, if you didn't hear, was how how do you deal with uh, submitting to an authority that's trying to draw you into sinful behavior and activity? When God's word is very, very clear, our ultimate authority is God. So in your submission to the authority that's over you, there's going to be times that when our government says you must kill your baby, we won't. You know what I'm saying? Uh, When a husband says, I want you to do something illegal, we won't. Because we're still submitting to, and that's where we're heading to next. We're not submitting to our husbands. Who are you submitting to? You're submitting to God. Go go to Colossians real quick, and and you'll see how that's brought out. Go to Colossians chapter 3. It's been in our other passages we just looked at. But go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 18 through 24. He says in verse 18, "Wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men." Knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving who? The Lord Christ. So in answer to your question, James, because I'm serving Christ, I will not ever do anything that my government says is against the will of God and the word of God. And as a wife, I will not do anything that my husband says that is against God's word. You understand why? Because I'm not following the government. I'm submitting to Christ as I submit to the government. I'm submitting to Christ as I follow my husband. So when there's going to be times when the leadership is going to say, do something, and God's word says, absolutely not. Like when the midwives in the time of the, the slavery in Egypt, the government said to kill the babies as soon as they came out, what'd they do? They hit them. <laughs> they said, "Man, these ladies are popping them out faster than we can get there." <laughs> well, that wasn't the case, but they submitted to God and His law which superseded what their government or their husband. So, Thank you. great. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point. Yes? The three verses in Colossians 3 ahead, 15, 16, and 17, but 16 especially, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Yes. With all wisdom for admonishing insults against. If you don't have the word in you, you can't know what the, is. That's a great point. And what isn't, so that you know what to follow and what not. That's a great point. That's a great point. Let me Let me have you write down a Greek word. It's very, very important. You need to write it down. It's H-U-H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. It said the whole word is hupotasso. H-U-P-O-T-A-S-S-O. And you can double check me and go look this up. The Greek word hupotasso is what's translated in our English submit. But listen closely. The Greek word hupotasso means a voluntary submission submission. Due to respect for God's design. In other words, if a husband ever says you must submit to me because God's word says wives submit to your husbands, they're wrong. Because hupotasso is a voluntary submission. It can never be forced. Does Jesus force you to submit to him? No. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church, and even if they don't submit to you, you still show loving grace toward her. You never force it, because Jesus doesn't force it. Oh, husbands, you need to be gentle with your wives, honoring your wives. I think it's kind of sad that uh, we've gotten away from opening doors and things like that and showing honor and respect for women, because the Bible says that we need to keep in mind that they are the weaker vessel, even though... People today say, "No, no, women and men are able, and they can do it." No, no, you're equal in the eyes of God, and we're going to get to that in just a little bit. But, but there's a difference, and God has designed a difference for a reason. And husbands, if you're not being gentle with your wives, what did First Peter chapter three verse seven say was happening to your prayers? They're being, They're being hindered. They're being hindered. And so, let's talk about the men for a little bit. Can you say that voluntary submission? It's a voluntary submission out of respect for God's design. You're submitting voluntarily because of what God has designed. That's what Hupataso means. Husbands, you are to bring glory to God by leading your families in a gentle and loving way, but also not in your own way, but in submission and obedience to who? To Jesus. Who's your head, Husbands. Your head is Christ. Go ahead. What verse am I in now? I'm about to give you one. I'm not in one just yet. I'm about to get to to one. Uh, What I'm I'm laying out for you is a definition. I'm going to say it to you again. Husbands are to bring glory to God by leading their families in a gentle and loving way. This is putting together all these things we've looked at so far in a gentle and loving way, but not in your way. But in submission and obedience to Jesus Christ, what I want you to see is just like Jesus humbled himself and submitted to a role the father had for him, even though he was equal with God and wives and husbands are equal in the eyes of God. But God has chosen the wife to take a role of submission, just like Jesus is equal with God, yet he took a role of submission. Husbands now are to lead their wives and their families in the exact same way that Jesus led. Listen, and Jesus did nothing of his own will. He only did what the father had him to do, which means husbands, as you lead, every edict you give has to have come from Christ and never from you. Go to John chapter five. We'll go there if that'll help you out. Go to John chapter five. And look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Did Jesus do anything of his own will? Never. And not only did Jesus never do anything of his own will, he only did what the Father had him do. And listen, And at the same time, as I'm about to show you, jump over to John chapter 14, verse 10. Jesus not only did only what the Father did, he only let the Father do it through him. John chapter 14. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus not only only submitted to the Father, whatever he did, the Father did through him. One of the things that we've developed over the years in our family, and we've been trying to teach our kids, and now they're 26, 24, and 21, we've been trying to develop in them as they grew in their walk with the Lord to be listening to the Spirit. My wife and I try to make decisions the same way, and we'll look at our kids and and we'll say to them, can you look me in the eye and tell me you've prayed about this, you've read the Scriptures, and you believe God is saying that this decision is okay. If you can do that, we'll back you up. Because we're trying to teach you how to walk with him and listen to him. We are your parents, but only for a season. And we're to guide and point you ultimately to Christ. When we when we were uh, younger and you were a baby, we had a service where we held you up and we dedicated you to the Lord. And we were reminded of the fact that He was you, we were created for him and not for us. So we had a responsibility to teach them how to hear from God in every decision. As they're looking for jobs, as they were choosing schools, as they're prayerfully looking at mates, all these things. And at the same time, my wife and I have learned in the same way, we don't make a decision until we sense the Spirit of God says yes. Now listen to me, that's important, husbands, you need to hear something. There are going to be times that you see things that need to be dealt with, but the Spirit of God is going to say not yet. But I think that it needs to be dealt with. That's true, you may think that, but the Spirit of God is your head. Christ is your head, and you only deal with something when the Spirit tells you to. And so husbands, just because you've been given authority over your families and over your wives, doesn't mean that you now get to determine what you do and what you say. And No, no, you have a head, and you have to submit to that head. And on a daily basis, it's kind of important that the husband spends a lot of time in the Word. Doesn't it, doesn't it sound like that? And a lot of time in prayer. Because whatever you pass on down had to have come from Christ. And if it didn't, you will be held in higher accountability. Because of the role that God's given to you. Paul says something very interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 1. I think this is a great way to describe the husband's role. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Some of your translations put it this way. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's the idea. That's God's design for the man. You follow me as I follow Christ. Jump over to Philippians chapter four real quick. And uh, look at what Paul says here. And let me ask you whether or not you can say this. Philippians chapter four and look at verse nine. In Philippians chapter four, verse nine, Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. How many of you husbands can today say to your family, you just do everything that I'm doing. You live like I am and God will bless it and God will be pleased. Oh, remember, you're not just on a stage as we looked at yesterday. We're in front of man you're on a stage in front of the angels boy that helps me a lot in my traveling ministry as I'm in different churches around the country every Sunday and staying in a lot of hotels by myself and the temptation to look at things that aren't appropriate what helps me is my Savior's here the angels are watching and I want to bring glory to God by showing full submission to the Father even though my flesh may be tempted to do other things And at the same time, and this is very important to me, one of the two other greatest things that I fear is ever, ever, ever bringing shame to the Lord Jesus Christ because of the role he's put me in as a public figure. And bringing shame to the Lord if I sin in those ways and with my wife and my kids. Because I want to be one of those husbands that can say, as I follow Christ, you follow me. I want to say to my kids, I'm not just asking you to pray about every decision and only move when you believe the spirit said, yes, I've been living that way myself. Husbands, I think you've got it harder. Wives have been convinced that they have the harder thing. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. We actually are to everything that comes out of our mouth has to have come from the Lord which means the husbands even more need to learn how to submit themselves to their head on a daily basis. And now they also have to lead. And you ready? Here's where it gets really tricky. I talked about this at the marriage retreat we did last time. Some of you were here, some of you weren't, but I'm going to bring it out again because it's really important that we hear this. Uh, Wives, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Most of the time... When you nag us, you're right. You're right. You listen. Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> but 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 listen. List, listen closely though. List, listen closely. But when you nag us, the last thing we want to do is reinforce that behavior. <laughs> And so, even though we know you're right, because you nagged, we want to do it even less. And we're going to let you in on something else. You probably do know how to do things in the family better than we do. I think it's part of God's design. Women's intuition and women have been given a lot of of insight and a lot of knowledge how to do stuff. Yet... Ironically, God has said, even though that's all welling up within you, wives, and now because of sin, you want to be in charge. I'm going to ask you to bring glory to the father by submitting to the guy that I put over you who doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I'm serious. No, no. Listen. But listen. Husbands, listen closely. Husbands, listen to what I'm saying to you, though. You've got to stop pretending like you know what you're doing. And be willing to say on a daily basis, I don't know what to do. But I've been given the role to lead. And therefore, I have to go talk to Jesus. And have him show me what he would have me do. Oh, and by the way. There's nothing wrong with wives and husbands having conversations where wives can give input. As long as the wives say, you don't have to do what I just said. God uses me as I think we read it yesterday. I will find I heard it. I will find a helper fit for him. Folks, one of the greatest things is when the design of God works. I'll give an example. Years ago, uh, when uh, our kids were little, I came home from work as pastor at First Baptist in the Atlantic. And it was a very typical day where Becky had been home with the three kids. And the kids had been fighting over different stuff. And you know what I'm talking about, husbands. You always hate coming home as the referee. You know, because the mom's been saying all day, wait till your dad gets home. And I walked in the door and had to deal with this thing that had happened. And my first reaction was to say to Nicole, our oldest, go to your room and don't come out for 10 years. And I, mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was something along that line. It was stupid. It was it was unfair. It was irrational. And she looked at her mom and said, Mom, that's not fair. Tell him that's not fair. And Becky's response was awesome. She said, he's your father. You do what he says. Nicole went to her room. Then quietly, out of earshot of Nicole, Becky said, can we talk for a second? You didn't get the whole story. You made a rash decision. Here's what really happened. What you just said to her was a little unfair, but you're still the dad. And you get to make the call. But that is she shared with me and I prayed about it. I was the one who went to my daughter and sat on her bed and humbly said, I was wrong. And your mom even helped me see that I was wrong. And now you don't have to be in here for 10 years. It's only five. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever it was, but do you see how God designed the team to work together? This is not a... I'm going to talk to Jesus. I'll tell you what we're going to do. And then you do it. That's not it. Wives, you are a team and you're a helper. Don't be afraid to share what you believe God may be showing you because you do know best most of the time. But humble yourself enough to say, I haven't been given the, de- the role of making the decision, though. That's been given to you. And I'm going to trust myself to one who judges justly. And you'll be held accountable for the decision, not me. But I love you and I wanna share with you. And folks, as you learn to communicate, as I used to do premarital counseling, I used to always talk to couples about the importance of communication, 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 because that's the area where we struggle the most. And I taught them how to communicate about money, how to communicate about selfishness, how to communicate about family issues and stresses. But you need to learn how to talk, but listen. As you talk, wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, you're not in charge. Who's in charge? And you only make a decision after you know it's what Christ has said. And you say to your spouse and your family, you follow me as I follow Christ. Let me ask you a question, wives, are you equal? With your husband in the eyes of God? Yes. If you don't believe that, let me just show you a couple of passages real quick. Go to uh, Galatians chapter 3. Look at verses 26 through 28. We're about to wrap up. So I know they say the definition of an optimist is the lady that puts her shoes back on when the preacher says in conclusion. But um, (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, look at verses 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ. Now, people have tried to take that and say, well, see that there's no male or female. We all get no, no, no. This doesn't supersede the rest of the scriptures that we've been looking at today that say that there's a role for men and a role for women. The passage is simply just saying that because you're a woman, you're not lesser in the eyes of God. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you're just as saved as your husband. And husbands, you're not more saved that you're a man. And you want to see it even more clearly? I have never seen this until just this past week when I was working on my radio programs and I'm going to be going into 2 Peter uh, in a a, a month or so. And as I was writing radio programs, God showed me something in 2 Peter chapter one. I love this. 2 Peter chapter one, look at verses one and two. Look at what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter one, verses one and two. He, He just starts his greeting and he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of the God of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he said? I'm an apostle of the Lord, capital A, taught by the Lord face-to-face, done the signs and the wonders, I'm an apostle, and I'm writing to people who have equal standing with God because of Jesus. Wives, are you equal in the eyes of God? With your husband, don't claim equality as something to be grasped, but humble yourself and pray for your husband and help him seek the Lord. Don't ever say, I think he ought to. Here's some things that I've been praying about. Have you prayed about it? And learn how to help each other seek the Lord. Husbands, has God given you authority in the home? By the way, if you can't answer that one, we're starting all over again. <laughs> Husbands, have God given you authority in the home? Yes. yes, but don't step out from under your head to whom you must submit and be like Jesus and do only what Jesus would have you do, and do it only in his strength. Folks, when this is working perfectly, it's glorious. It's absolutely glorious. But don't wait for your spouse to be obedient before you'll be obedient. Husbands, lead gently in love. Don't force submission, but offer leadership in the hopes that your family will follow. Jesus held out his hands continually to hard-hearted people, like I said. And wives, don't only submit to a godly husband, but as unto Christ. Maybe God will use your obedience to be the catalyst for your spouse getting right with God. Here's what your homework session is going to be as you spend some time talking to each other. First off, there's, there's a, a list of discussion questions available as well. You have them. Allison has, uh, if you, after the time you do a little homework, I'm going to give you a have a little bit more time. She's got a, a bowl of uh, awesome, just discussion starters, you can just, conversation starters, you can just take one or two of them and uh, use those to discuss as well because you're going to be working on communication But today, in your breakout time, as you go somewhere on the campus and spend time talking some more, I want you to talk to each other about how you need each other. We're going to get into specifics next session on learning each other's love languages and stuff like that. We're going to get into that a little bit later on as we deal with sacrificial love. But for today, I want you to talk to each other about how you can help me. How you can help me as I follow Christ Would you be willing to help me and remind me, don't nag me, but remind me of my need to be seeking the Lord? Maybe you could develop a time where you would do a study together. The husband's not doing his own thing and the wife's doing her own thing. I think that's valuable because God's going to be talking to you about things that is different, that he's talking to him. But at the same time, I think it's valuable that you do study together. Spend some time in this time, wives saying, well, this would be a help for me in submitting. Again, no attack words, no you always, you never. It's never always and never never. My wife and I used to always do whenever someone would use a word like that, we would always go and we would blow it up. <laughs> like, you know, "That's an illegal word." We would always we would we'd be funny, we'd go, "Boom! Can't use that word." Don't start it with you. Those are attack things. Again, you're going from here. Let's, let's put this into practice. You might already be doing it. Is the Lord showing you some specifics of how we can go there more? But I promise you, as you learn to develop how to talk and encourage each other in the roles that God's given each of you, you'll be more patient. With the, Remember, if the wife doesn't do a good job, husband, whose job is it to get her there? Christ. Wives, if husbands aren't doing a good job, whose job is it to get them there? Christ. So go spend some time letting God kind of walk you through this, and we'll see you in Sanctuary 11. We love you.